Hello and welcome to the first full-length episode of Last Year A DJ Saved My Life. A love letter to the music that gets us through both the pandemic and life in general in podcast form. My guest this week is the inimitable Rowan Manahan, author, presentation skills coach, career Sherpa, C-suite wrangler and raconteur. I first met Rowan when we were presenting at the same conference. He was there with all the helpful coaching and guidance and I was there with the puns and cynicism. Throughout the time we've known one another, he has been mentor, a sharer of gossip and music geekery over our frequent breakfast chats in Sandy Mount, and more importantly, a dear friend. Although we can't play Rowan's music choices for rights reasons, there is a corresponding Spotify playlist in the show notes and linked on the website at lastyearadjsavedmy.life along with Rowan's social media handles. Please do give it a listen. He picked such great songs. And check him out online too. He's really fab. I had such a lovely time talking with Rowan and hearing his magnificent stories. I told you he was a raconteur. And I really hope you enjoy them as well. Well, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being my guinea pig and thank you for being the first guest. Oh, lovely to see you, hon. Such a pleasure, Gina, and so wonderful to chinwag with you again. Looking forward to this immensely. Oh, Oh, I'm so excited. So let's get stuck in. Let's get stuck in. What can I tell you? First and foremost, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's been... um... It's been a weird year. Let's not pretend otherwise. Uh, my business is all about human beings coming together. So they weren't doing that. Now, where are they? That made life a little tricky, particularly at the at the first signs of lockdown last year. So work-wise, it's been all right. You know, it hasn't <laughs> been great. It's been all right. Um, a lot of time to catch up on some on some reading. A lot of time to catch up. Thank God for music and great uh, and and great literature and and rubbish literature while you're at it. Um, and you know, casting my eyes to heaven at the things that are on my Netflix watched list for this year because I'm not in control of that. I live with uh, um, uh, my good lady and a 24 year old and a 22 year old. So some of the abominations that have made its way in, in, into my my <laughs> list. I just I can't take credit for it all but uh, look you know what we're all healthy and well and we, it hasn't touched us directly in terms of, of anyone we know and love oh that's great um being affected by the the, the, the disease proper it's 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 certainly taken people down a, a more than a mm. peg or two it's been rough on a lot of people but thankfully i don't count myself a casualty of that thus far oh good good it's sort of been a bit of a backwards gratitude exercise in a lot of ways I think certainly for yeah, me yeah, good. that's a good way of describing it yeah yeah you know so many people have just had a really really hard time over the last year or so and I'm, I'm very lucky like you said that it hasn't you know touch wood it hasn't affected anyone too close to me I mean I've had a few friends who've had it and they're still struggling um but they're all still with me I and I'm the same I've, I've had some I've had some very ugly long COVID scenarios but mm. um as I say, not nothing that's involved, you know, loss of limb or loss of organs or anything like that. Thankfully, again, touch wood, but that's not in any way to diminish how rough that is for those who are going through that. But by comparison with the alternative, 
I'll take yeah, yeah I'll take right, long exactly. COVID. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's uh, compared to the alternative. You're so right. So music during this yeah. time. What has your relationship to music been like over the last fourteen months or so? Um, well, I've had I've had more time to myself, and I've had less time in the car. Normally, in the car, I'm either doing calls or I'm listening to talk. I'm listening to podcasty stuff, or I'm listening to lectures, or whatever. So, on on that basis, I've had more hours in the day available to me. Um, and what I've also tried to do is try and keep some kind of normalcy going in terms of my normal. I reckon my 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 natural biorhythm would be you know two a.m. bed, ten a.m. rise, um, and obviously the world doesn't work that way. So I have found myself forcing myself to get myself into the bed and, and take the rest and whatever else, and not sit up and eat all night, uh, as one could so easily do watching you know endless you know box sets and whatever. Um, and therefore, my joy and my sort of treat for myself has been to get my music library that bit better organized and and to kind of unearth some some little gems that i haven't listened to for a long old while or to replay endlessly obsessively those gems that that uh, that, that that bring joy to the heart whatever so music's been huge yeah it's been huge do you think your relationship with music is different after this year than it was before uh, i'd say um Music has always been huge. I mean, if, if you go right back to my childhood, um, I had a grandfather who was a composer um, and, 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 you know, orchestral wow. stuff and didn't move with the times in the in the in the 1920s and into the 1930s and, and went bankrupt as a result. And I remember hearing the stories of him shattering the 78s of, of the kind of the, the, the early jazz standards that my my father and my uncles were bringing into the house because he did not approve. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got visions of these like vinyls smashing around the house. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I still have his top hat. He was that kind of guy. And his wife, my my paternal grandmother, was um, a trained opera singer and a very very good one. So I was used to there being you know music and allusions to music all around me. I'm the baby in the family, so I've got a sister who's eight years older than me, a brother who's eleven years older than me, and my middle name is Whoops. <laughs> um, because I'm pretty confident yeah I'm pretty confident that my 1950s elder elder siblings were it they were the nuclear family and then I don't know the dishwasher broke down or something and there was nothing else to do and out I popped nine months later <laughs> uh, so again in terms of uh, sort of a ready-made you know, as soon as I became sentient it was Beatles and it was Cream and it was Clapton is God and it was Pacapena playing amazing flamenco and it was go up to the Browns house to listen to Scullion and, and other amazing Irish uh, traditional musicians so music was very much pervasive in the life um, you know we didn't have we didn't have extensive libraries no one could afford to have one but there was a lot of home taping going on with microphones held oh, up yeah. in front of and held up in front of speakers and what have you from Radio Luxembourg and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and music was huge. It was just huge. So I certainly one of my earliest and happiest memories would be Saturday mornings my mum who was a full-time domestic engineer would disappear I, I would be left my brother and sister were grumpy teenagers at that stage so I was I was the only one up of a Saturday morning and I'd be watching cartoons and Scooby-Doo and whatever else while dad would incinerate breakfast and 
generally speaking, and as soon as I was I was old enough to 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 be you know interesting to talk to, it was have a listen to this, and it would, you know the volume would be cranked up, and ornaments would be rattling off the off the shelves <laughs> as you know Benny Goodman or you know the, the the best of of big band and the best of of kind of early jazz stuff was was been blasted out. So I remember years later when CDs first came out. I bought a CD for a very dear friend of mine, and it was a, it was a collection of Clapton stuff, and I hadn't listened to Clapton in the intervening. So that was late sixties into the maybe the very beginning of the early seventies, before my brother disappeared out of our lives. He graduated and left home, um, and this is now you know whatever late eighties, so fifteen year gap, let's say. Yeah. I knew every note, every key change. It's every mad, isn't it? Pause every little detail was was just absolutely drilled into my brain i knew every one of them it was extraordinary yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh it's i think it's like 80s new wave for me if i had yeah. I, of, I often wonder what i could have achieved if i had that portion of my brain that re- remembers you know every note and every lyric of a song i haven't heard in 25 years what could i have done if i'd applied that power differently <laughs> when i was in the queue for the superpowers why did I choose that one rather than, you know, flight or invisibility or invulnerability? Yeah, not the most useful superpower in the world, is it, Dina? No, but you know what? It's it's a really enjoyable <laughs> one. It's, it's very rare that a song comes on in a bar and I can't sing along to it, much to everybody else's chagrin, no doubt. But yeah, um, I'm yeah. having a great old time usually. And I was I was DJing through late 70s into the early 80s. I, I finished in college in 86, so... Um, I paid my way through university DJing, and I mean it was oh, wow. two old decks, and it wasn't scratching or any of that kind of stuff. It was it was just you know finishing on a nice drum beat on that song and starting with the drum beat of that song. You know nothing more elaborate than that, or a nice fade through to another song or whatever else. And the slow sets they were great, but it also meant that that I was exposed to much broader genres of music than I probably otherwise would have been, because if you went into uh, you know do house parties or or rugby clubs or tennis clubs sailing clubs whatever it might be weddings and so on and so forth people were coming up and asking you for for particular things and obviously then if if the the organizers of the party would say you know here's our 10 records that you have to play uh, and if we didn't already have them in our library it's not like you know we can just go to spotify and, and queue up the next song yeah. these days it's so much easier um, but it was fascinating, therefore, to be exposed to music from bands I'd never heard of and probably would have seen on, uh, you know, the old grey whistle test or whatever it was back in the BBC back in the day, not even on top of the pops. They would have been kind of more outre than that. And bands I'd never would probably have otherwise gone out and bought records from. And you suddenly find yourself going, who's this David Byrne person? Gosh, he's interesting, isn't he? A little. Fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Went to see him actually. That was one of what was one of the one of the last. I, I do a sort of a shared gig experience with a dear friend of mine who lives down in Cork, and um, you know it needs to be a good gig to prize Porrick up out of Cork. Uh, and and David Byrne apparently rated. So we went to see that amazing American Utopia show up and up, up in um, what's it called now? Is the point is always in my head. I hate calling things by their brand name. Oh, is it's. The, uh, is it the O2? No, the, it's the 3 Arena. That's it. Isn't 3. It now? Thank you very yeah. much. Now that's what it is. Yes. And it was it was extraordinary because for a show that has no set, no kit on the stage, no risers, no mics, no lights, no, no monitors, no nothing. It's a grey set. 
with a chain hanging down at the back, series of chains hanging down the back. He had 15,000 people literally leaning forwards mm. on the edges of their seats going, what's he going to do next? <laughs> it's quite amazing. He's he's one of those people that he just has like a cool gene. Like even if he'd never if he'd never been world famous, you just knew that when he was like twelve, he was just innately cool at school. Yeah, and I think he's I think he's talked about being you know glancing off the edges of the spectrum and whatever else. But I would just describe him as being dictionary definition eccentric he is not yeah. of the center he is right out on the outside edges of the center looking in and going well now that's a bit peculiar over there and oh look at them doing that over there what's what's causing that behavior he just seems to have that extraordinary ability yeah love him love him yeah now God. yes let's talk about the songs that you said got you through the oh, pandemic so okay. you i know i know i know i know i know yeah i remember this that this this was the bit <laughs> where you said you know narrow it down to yo know, your favorite child and kill all the other ones yes that one that <laughs> which is your favorite <laughs> organ and it's okay if we let the other ones wither and die yeah i am getting so <laughs> much shit from people <laughs> well that's because you're a shit person dina and that's just a, a fucking horrible thing to ask someone to do and if you can't see that and own that i just don't even know if i want to talk to you oh i can i can i uh i mean i joke i think i joked about it in the intro to the podcast that part of this was because <laughs> in the early lockdown there was this meme going around on social media and it was a 30-day challenge and every day was a different theme you know a song that makes you feel x or reminds you of y and i loved it and i loved it i loved seeing everybody else's choices and some and it was excruciating and i got to day 30 and was like well that that's over and that's boring i want to do it again now um, so made my own version of it which was just overly elaborate and super convoluted <laughs> and i was like can we just do this all day every day i want to see everybody's oh. answers so um yeah much better than much more exciting than rummaging through people's you know knickknacks drawers or whatever it's oh yeah just fascinating you never isn't quite it? know what you're gonna find <laughs> <laughs> so you picked five songs you picked... did i i don't remember now <laughs> you did you did All you right. did for the songs that got you through the pandemic you've picked plain song by the cure oh my goodness autumn journal 15 the blue airplanes yeah she moved through the fair louis stewart other yeah. Voices live from Curation, another Cure track. Um, yeah. I've worn my T-shirt, especially for you today. There is a Light Live by Johnny Marr. Yeah. Tell me, why were they your choices? Oh, they're just... It's funny, isn't it? I mean, we've talked so much over the years about music and what it does mm. and how evocative it can be and and how... You know, it was interesting when, when when you were when you were pinging me over some thoughts on this, and you were talking about kind of the healing power of music and music as a place of sort of solace or or retreat. Retreat, yes, I guess. You know, get to back to into your own head and peace and quiet and and, and just fill it with that, these these wonderful sounds. But for me, music is mostly about uplifting and 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 exaltation. It really, you know, I, mm. I, it just, it, 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 it thrums in my, in my very bones as I listen to it. And when, um, you know, the one thing that did, did strike me as, as, as you, as you started forcing me to kill children of mine and, and murder puppies and drown kittens and, and, you know, cut off blood supply to various appendages and so You've forth. You've enjoyed this. <laughs> um, 
it did occur to me that that I definitely have the fat middle aged white man gene for I like guys with guitars. <laughs> I will, um, I, we'll get to that later because I do have a question about. We'll put a pin in that one because I have thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So starting in reverse order, I always loved the Smiths. And hated Morrissey. Yeah. I loved the Smiths because the first track I, I remember impinging on my consciousness, I would have been a, probably fairly late to them at the time, was What Difference Does It Make? And I listened to that guitar and that little riff and I just thought to myself, don't know who that is, but he's a goddamn genius. Mm-hmm. And it again, it just it, it hit me in my bones straight away. And then I hear this desperate, attention-seeking nonsense being sung over it. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, And it's just so self-conscious and it just irked me from the get-go. But I loved the Smiths. I loved the the rhythm section were great and Johnny was just extraordinary. So when I discovered uh, that that, that he was doing interesting stuff in the years since with the Pretenders and the The and Electronica whatever else, that was just such a delight. Oh, yeah. Um, and he hadn't done There Is A Light for a million years. I, I don't think since the Smiths broke up, I don't think he'd ever played it. Uh, he would do it. He would do Smith songs occasionally, whatever else on request. But it was Neil Finn from um, Crowded House had him do a, a, a charity concert. And Johnny hadn't played the song before. And he talked about it where he just said, Seeing, you know, a sea of 45 to 55 year old people bawling their eyes out as he played this song. He just said, how can I not? How can I not play these things that I wrote? Now, you know, that chorus, which I torture my children with um, because it's it's uh, uh, what is it? If a double decker bus crashes into us, you know. (laughs) Well, the pleasure, the privilege is all mine. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Uh, but when Johnny does it, it, it's like David Byrne. He just has the cool gene, even though he's singing something that's just so patently ridiculous. His little licks and flourishes around that particular version are just, oh my God, the music, the musicality, the musicianship. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's sort of like I've I've seen him live twice. I saw him live in Detroit when I was there in 2019 and back in uh, Brixton with my mm. friend Joe at the end of 2018, I think it was. And it's sort of I think So that was the call the com that was the call the commentator. Yes, mm. I think so. I believe so, yeah. I think without what I imagine is the oppressive presence of Morrissey in a band, um, he does allow himself to play. A little bit more with the the songs that we know and love from the Smiths. He's got a little bit more freedom. I always find his voice. I mean, Morrissey's Morrissey. Like we won't go down that rabbit hole about the racist bigotry or anything. But um, his voice is spectacular. Yeah. It's it's very striking. And I always find when when Johnny Marr is singing Smith songs, it's a bit like the kid in the school band who was just really good at the guitar bit, and his voice is fine. Yeah. Yeah. And he can, but he can hold a stage. He has, he's just got great style as well, I think. Johnny Marr, he's just fucking cool. I listened to his autobiography uh, and it, God, it was brilliant. I listened to it on an audiobook. Oh, really? And it was brilliant. It was so interesting. And he was, of course, so cool, but also just so utterly self effacing. 
And, yeah. you know, when he was lost and confused, he told you he was lost and confused. There was no kind of, you know, I knew what I was doing. It was a great master plan. None of that bullshit. None of that kind of reinventing uh, history afterwards. It was just, you know, oh, I was devastated and there I was and I was fucked and I didn't know what to do next. And, and it was wow. brilliant. It was utterly, utterly uh, open and, and, and lovely. I really, I mean, my admiration for him grew even more. Um, to, to yeah, you know, He's got a good old soul. He's a good skin. Uh, then yeah. again, he's from Athlone. What do you expect? You know, <laughs> that's yeah. one for our Athlone listeners. There you go. <laughs> what else? Okay, um, yeah, Autumn Journal fifteen. Now, there's a weird song, if ever there was. Then again, that's a weird band for anybody who doesn't know. It was a new one to me. Yeah, a Bristol, yeah. a bunch of Bristol lads. Um, and again, for me, what what got me was a, a, it was that friend I mentioned earlier on. It was Pork who found them, and he got in the car one Friday evening. I picked him up from work, and we were heading off to a friend's house to, to you know to sit and do aimless you know early twenty stuff. And he went, "Well, you hear this," and he cranked up. It was I can't recall what song it was. It was off the Swagger album, and there was just this utterly thrilling um, interplay of about four guitars going on, and uh, Gerald Bruschini was the was the, the main guitar man at the time. Very odd fellow reading poetry for the most part was you know, there was no singing as such in the blue airplanes, and I remember they always gave credit to and I saw them once in concert to uh, one of the members of the band. It was anywhere from sort of seven to eleven people in the band at any given moment, one of whom instrument was quote dance. Um, and he was a lovely Polish fellow who would leap around the studio and inspire them with his dance moves. While and he was a fully paid up <laughs> member of the band, uh, co collecting credits and collecting royalties and whatever else along the way. And, and was a wonderful dancer, I must say. Very expressive. But great, just great music. Um, you know, couldn't give a fuck, joyous kind of vibe going to them. Love them. I would suspect they're probably a bit of a Marmite band, but for me, that one particular song, it just has this lovely, wonderful, rolling, swelling drum beat. Um, great, simple, you know, back back rhythm with the, with the with the bass guitar, and then I don't know how many guitars dueling it out in the front, and it works for me in a big way. Yeah, it's a happy, happy song. <laughs> it was lovely. Like I say, it was very new on to me, but as I, I can compile them all into a playlist and had a good listen this week, and that was one that definitely stuck with me. Yeah. It's very striking. Yeah, yeah. Very striking. Great band. Great band. Um, by contrast, um, She Moved Through the Fair. That was one. That was a song I couldn't listen to for a very, very long time because Louis Stewart, the jazz guitarist, was actually a. a a friend of, of our family. Uh, my dad would have been one of his biggest fans. And he taught my brother guitar um, as, a, as, a, as a young and up and coming before he won his, his Montreux Festival, you know, accolades and so forth. He was teaching my brother basics on guitar. And um, a real virtuoso. I saw him play with some of the greatest, you know, Wes Montgomery and, and, and Jim Hall and some of the greatest guitar players of, of, of the 20th century. I was lucky enough to see them in pubs in Dublin playing together and doing duets together and so forth. Extraordinary concerts. But uh, Louis played at my dad's funeral. So I could not listen to his music for a long time. Um, and when I did, I went for the softer ones. Um, and that was one always that, that that particularly resonated with me. It's a pure solo. I think it's from his Louis the First album. Pure solo, um, unadulterated. No, no, uh, you know, 
overdubs, no nothing going on, and it's just exquisite. It's the old Irish air, um, re reinvented, reimagined. Beautiful piece, beautiful piece. Yeah, it was. It's a uh, gosh, I can't imagine how that must feel listening to it. Now, when we spoke last, okay, you had a really interesting story about your dad and a note about guitar lessons. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Lord, actually. I went over to my mum's this morning. I forgot to check because I'm sure I'm sure it's there in the attic. Yeah, um, my dad died. He was only 68. He was only a few years retired and and uh, he got a cancer and he wasn't paying attention to his health. The usual story. So I nursed him to the end and, and, and was privileged to do so. And uh, after he died and going through all the papers and sorting all the things out and I found in amongst all my school reports and whatever else a note written in my own handwriting. It was genius. I have to say, it was genius. Anyway, what does the note say? The note says, whatever date it is in, you know, 1973 or something, I, Rowan Manahan, having been offered guitar lessons by my, you know, loving, generous and ever thoughtful parents, have thrown this generosity back in their face and rejected said lessons and i hereby note that i can never come back at either of my parents and say you never gave me the opportunity because and you know and dad signed it underneath and like almost like a notary uh so he had this on file so if i ever came back to him at some point and went oh you really should have forced me pop <laughs> he could go fuck you son <laughs> Ah. Oh, I love that. I lo I just love the fact he kept it so long into your adulthood and everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, I still regret that I can't play guitar. Um, yeah. Well, especially if Louis Stewart was going to be your teacher. <laughs> oh, listen. A, a very dear friend of mine just died oh. uh, in, in the last week. Nothing to do with COVID or whatever else. And he was a stunning guitarist. Oh. And he has a collection of guitars. Uh, he lived over in Kentucky. He had a wonderful collection of guitars. I would love to have one of his guitars, you know, hanging on my wall. But that's all it could ever do because I could certainly never make it make any nice noises. <laughs> sort of wear it. Like, just sort of, you know. Uh, do, right yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, just uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. A, a sunburst Stratocaster just for the <laughs> yeah, coolness just walk factor. up and down yeah, under Larry Bear. <laughs> I bet I'd get the chicks in truckloads. Well, I mean, you'd get, you'd get something, I'm sure. But I don't know what it would be. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So your other two choices for your pandemic songs were The Cure. And to say I was surprised yeah. would be a lie. <laughs> because mm. you you I'm are a fan. fan. But talk to, you've chosen Plain Song and then the live version of Other Voices. Why those two? Oh, Plain Song um, was the first Cure album that I was looking forward to buying, was Disintegration. So that's that's actually just a few days gone, uh, early May 1989. And I had the word tipped to my friend Tommy, who was working in the uh, in the local record shop. Um, so, in fact, he gave it to me early. And you know, it was a kind of the day ahead release wow. or whatever else. I got hold of a copy of it. And I was really cool back then because I had a company car. I was working for a big pharmaceutical company. I had a company car. I had a portable Walkman, a Sony Walkman, little, really little. I mean, it's barely the size of a CD case. And you could clip this thing onto um, a stand in the car and then 
you think the technology a wire comes out of the headphone socket into the cassette deck of the car i mean how <laughs> shit was that but it meant that you could bring your cds with you and it was on this suspension arm it had a spring load and whatever else so i was driving down to cork i remember that day uh, which was a, a hell of a journey pre decent mm. motorways in ireland and i got to listen to the cure album more than twice uh in in the time and the first thing as I pulled away from 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 Dunleary was playing song at you know window vibrating volume, <laughs> and yeah, left an impression. What can I say? And that year was the first time I saw them live. They were on the Prayer Tour, uh, and I saw them in the RDS with my good friend Bob. And I just remembered that that was the opening track of the concert as well. And they came on stage and they had the bing bong bing bong of the wind chimes going whatever else and then it was tick 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 and up it comes boom and all the blue lights went boom and they all came up at the same time and i remember bob had this kind of numinous glow around his head of this of this amazing shade of kind of somewhere between royal and navy blue and it was just again it was it was like a sensory assault it was it was hitting us from every angle and just that one image sticks in my head it was it was lovely um that was, uh, yeah, that was one of those, okay, I'm going out and buying everything these guys have ever released the next day concerts. Disintegration, I think, is my favourite Cure album. Well, at least it has my favourite Cure song oh. on it, which is Pictures of You, which I oh. honestly believe is one of the best Just love sublime. songs, pop songs ever, yeah. ever, ever. It's perfect. Yeah, he's a bit of a bit of an old genius, our Robert. I think so. um, and when you when you listen to the stuff deconstructed and you you start realizing, you know, Johnny Marr wrote a very good piece about guitars getting out of the way of each other when you're doing overdubs mm. or when you're when you're when you're when you're putting notes down and where they'll they'll complement each other and when they'll contrast in a way that's pleasing whatever else. And Robert Smith is an absolute genius at getting music to get out of the way of other tracks on the on the on the same. Uh, on the same piece of music and and weave them together in a way that's just so lovely and so pleasing or so thrummingly kind of you know fabulous and I want to pogo my way around the around the around the hall listening to it there's you know he 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 managed to cover the full gamut I think in the way in which he writes I missed the the meltdown festival in 2018 which which Smith uh, curated but I was thrilled when they then released that curation concert, which was a very interesting idea. What he did was he took um, the first song of the night was was a song off the first album. And they have, I don't know what, let's say 15 or 16 studio albums. And they played 15 tracks in a, in a row, one from each successive album. And then they played three or four kind of oddities. And then they started at album number 16 and worked their way back down to album number one to finish with Three Imaginary Boys uh, or Boys Don't Cry. I can't remember which it was. Uh, and again, they put some real deep cut stuff on there, including this lovely track from Faith called Other Voices. Now, it was pretty pounding and, you know, he was he was in a pretty bad way, I would say, when he wrote it. But this particular version, again, mm, yes, we liked that. He is, so. he's, and he's such an interesting character. Like, I mean, fair play to him for holding on to the look for, what, 40 years now? Like. <laughs> Yeah, the hair is getting thinner, but it's getting no less voluminous. And I'm, nope. I look at it. I've got a bit of the disheveled Rob Smith vibe today. But the um, disgruntled cure head yourself. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's also I I started playing the drums when I was in high school, um, oh. partly just to get out of geography, I think. But um, 
I didn't do very long because somebody said I looked like animal from the Muppets. And I was, uh, I, was, I mean, now I'd be like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, highest praise imaginable. <laughs> as, as a kind of 14, 15 year old girl, just being like, oh shit. <laughs> so, Not the look I was going for. I know, here was me thinking I'd be the next Karen Carpenter, but <laughs> Priceless. Um, but one of the things I read about Robert Smith, because he's just such a great showman, like you say, he curates really well, but I feel like he almost hates his job because he's such an introvert and is so shy. And even the lipstick and the hair, what was I was reading, he did that. I mean, it was because of his what he describes as his ill-defined features. He needed to bring some down. I just really love this notion yeah, of going like, absolutely. I'm quite boring, so I need to do something yeah. about it. Yeah. He is, he's got to be the least comfortable front man I've ever seen yeah. in a concert. The Rock and Roll Hall uh, of Fame, their induction, uh, that was just uh, hilarious. Are you as excited as I am? Well, apparently no. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. What's next? What's next? Now, next, 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 where I asked you, so looking back on the pandemic and your music there, one thing, but for me, I love that certain songs, certain tracks of music, just tram- oh. they like teleport me back to a feeling, a place, the people, a moment in life. And I asked you to do uh, a f- a five again, only five, I'm sorry. Um, and what did you choose? You chose Bring on the Night by the Police, The Tunnel of Love da- Live, Dire Straits, White Room by Cream, Birdland by Weather Report, oh, and Babylon Sisters yes. by Steely Dan. Let's talk about where they take you, why you chose Ooh, them. Well, that's now, okay, The Police is what, 78, 79? 78, great year. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We, for for reasons we will not delve into. <laughs> um, so I was fourteen. Tunnel of Love was probably nineteen eighty. That was the Making Movies album, so that's about nineteen eighty. Steely Dan, nineteen eighty. Birdland's Weather Report. I, that was late seventies, or it might have been very early eighties. I think it was probably late seventies. That was Steely Dan. That was nineteen eighty. That was the Gaucho album. Yeah, yeah. And um, did I have a fifth one? In you had White Room. White Room. That was <laughs> it's a it, little known song. Yes. How could I have forgotten? How could I have forgotten? And again, that was that was one of those songs that I hadn't heard since it originally came out. Um, with my brother thrumming his 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 you know his uh, waist long hair along to it and playing along on, a, on an acoustic guitar to it, uh, and then I heard it again in the in the, in the, the, the probably the mid eighties when I when I got a CD player and just went oh my god. There's a song which is three guys doing doing their thing, no overdubs. Uh, no layering of voices, no layering of, of, of you know multiple guitar tracks or whatever else. It's just bass guitar and 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 uh, Ginger Baker on drums. If you listen to just the drums isolated out on that, the complexity of what he is doing in a simple four beat, you know, four on the floor rhythm. Oh my God, the guy was an absolute genius. Um. Weird lyrics, no idea what they mean. Don't care. <laughs> no gold pavements, tired starlings. What the I hell? I mean, whatever. There's not a huge Sounds amount of great. sobriety going into writing those, but that's fine. That's great. I'm even. thinking probably <laughs> a lot of hallucinogenics at this juncture. Yes, indeed, indeed. 
but it, again just one of those songs and and um it, it's one of those songs that kind of goes slowly around in a circle and then comes back to the starting point and then goes you know it's the first two and slowly around in a circle and then back to the starting point and it's 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 structurally very pleasing it was just it was a wonderful piece of music bring on the night that was on the second police album and it i think it was it was released as a single here and there i discovered it on the album and it was that would definitely go with me onto a desert island again it's it's a very simple little song as you listen to it and then you listen to it again you realize oh my goodness me there's a lot going on there simple enough baseline lovely variant on it when it comes into the when it came into the uh, into the chorus but for me that song was all about andy summers and, and his arpeggio on the guitar and uh, i saw him teaching it as a as a, an extract from probably a cd rom or a dvd thing wow. that he did in the 90s or whatever and the complexity yeah and he could re he could just toss this off night after night and never miss a note and get it right every time having obviously probably in a not at all sober state thrown this down in a studio in so <laughs> you know in in a rush probably in two takes yeah and then somehow managed to pick it up and, and and have it right and of course they were playing so many gigs at that stage that was really where they came into their own i never saw them despite being a massive fan in the in the 70s and the early 80s uh, i had a ticket to go and see them for the one gig they played in ireland and couldn't go oh no uh, oh you had to go and accompany my mother wherever it was that she had to go and i was <laughs> oh i was gutted i was at the other end of the country and there was no way i could get to it and i went to see them in twickenham in, in london because we didn't think they were coming to ireland and then got to see them in ireland as well and i remember sitting with with the two dear steadfast lifelong friends and and and, and, and police fans bawling our eyes oh, out as, as they came on stage as the threesome and played message in a bottle to open the concert yeah the only disappointment that night was that they didn't play bring on the night but uh, you know we'll forgive we'll forgive them that just a wonderful song yeah. but when it when it starts where do you get like transported to it's i listened to police tapes that i made over and over and over again on a really clumsy kind of walkman thing that i had um going back and forth to the end of secondary school and the beginning of college so i'd hear i'd hear that you know the hissing wind in my ear <laughs> and, and and that song starting up which was recorded off vinyl so it would be nice and crackly as well people don't know they're born these days do they no no and and it is you're so right though i mean babylon sisters mm. there's 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 one on my list i got to see steely dan finally live uh, unfortunately just after walter becker died oh um but obviously the voice of the band was still there in in in, in mr fagan and uh, it's a session musician band and always yeah. have been anyway so you you kind of sorry walter you wouldn't miss him <laughs> <laughs> what can i say yeah do you know the guitarist they had was fucking great I, <laughs> and oh my god when they played uh babylon sisters which would have been one of the the early tracks that i chose as i love this song uh, by that band instant transport absolute time machine of a song for me as well i i, I can tell you that the place and the spot um it was it was in sandy cove where i grew up and i was outside at a very dear friend's house and his family were in the technology business they were they they did tv rentals and you know early vcrs so they always had new gear before anyone else had it so he had the first walkman probably in ireland and back then a sony walkman was about it was probably five or six hundred grams it was a big hefty a chunk of metal yeah. 
It was, yeah, it was. And I remember it had a kind of an anodized blue on it. Crappy headphones as I look at them now, but obviously at the time we'd never heard anything like it and we couldn't believe that this thing could pump out so much sound and so much power. That lovely orange sponge. <laughs> and the orange sponge, yes, <laughs> yes. And I was fighting with the girl that everyone in Sandy Cove was in love with, uh, including me, uh, to listen to this song. Um, and of course, years later, you, you you think back and you go, hmm, she wanted to press her head against mine. And we were both sharing the same headphone. And oh, I wonder, was I missing signals there? Yeah, you know, forlorn hopes, <laughs> I'm sure, goes, yeah. all the way. Sliding yeah, all that, all that. But it was it was extraordinary. There I am standing beside... You know, the love of my life, uh, watching this fabulous concert. And instantaneously, I'm a, I'm a little teenage man of whatever I was, 15 again, uh, standing outside Kevin's house with Kathy Ryan. It's, it's mad, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. Uh, music can do that to you, though. It really can. Um, same with that Dire Straits song. Uh, the, it's not even the whole song, which is funny. It's it's when he gets again into the kind of the contemplative bit. Yeah. Because what he's singing about in that song is where he grew up. He's, he's singing about Spanish City in Newcastle, which is which is a, a fairground area down on the seafront. Mm. Uh, and he's singing about Whitney Bay and he's singing about, you know, all, all of those little local features that were absolutely, obviously, indelibly imprinted on his brain. Um. And probably stepping out with some, you know, some young one that he fancied, uh, you know, the, the, the pants off. <laughs> and just that cascade of imagery coming back. And in that case, for me, again, it's it's the guitar thing again. It, it's the coda, the, the play out of that song and the way he does it. And particularly when he does it in concert. Oh, my goodness me. I remember seeing them with, with a dear friend who flew back from London the last time they were on tour, which was probably early 90s. And the first night of the concerts, they, they, he played Telegraph Road as, as the first encore song or the last song of the main set. I think it was was the last song of the main set. And we were just, oh, my goodness. And we were just thrilled and we were delighted. And, you know, 15 minutes later or whatever, we were all emotionally exhausted. <laughs> it and it then, does take you on a journey. Oh, <laughs> my God, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the following night, um, um, they played. A, they mixed up the set list a little bit, and they and he finished the main set with uh, with Tunnel of Love. And I remember Khan turning to me saying, "Right now, I can die. Wow. <laughs> you know, I've heard them. I've heard them both. And that's all. You know, that, that's all I need to write that song. Tick that off the checklist. That's everything one needs in life. And that to me is it. It's it's music. I suppose is about bringing things to a pinnacle of of excellence and and thought throughness and yeah. and thoroughness and and. I had a, a, a an extraordinary couple of years where I, I ended up in an industry that I know nothing whatsoever about. <laughs> but a dear friend of mine um, asked me to come and put shape on his business. Wow. And uh, I said, yep, yeah, sure, no problem. What, what, what is it? Recording studio. <laughs> okay. You might have heard of it. It's called Windmill Lane Recording mm. Studios. So I end up on Rings End Road beside the bus station in, in, in there. Um putting shape on the place and and looking and making sure that they're they're making margin where they should be and that they're not you know giving things away for free or underselling themselves or whatever else and, and they paid me which was even more extraordinary because i'm sitting in this air-conditioned blissed out environment listening to some of the greatest musicians of our time putting their thoughts down on tape wow. or on or, or on disc uh and, and they're actually paying me to be there <laughs> suckers <laughs> So I was there in the mid-90s and um, 
they were still it was an analog studio it was recording onto two inch tape uh, and it, you know what wonderful things had been recorded most recently when i walked in you know they were finishing off the voodoo lounge sessions with the rolling stones oh my goodness um so great stuff going on jeff emmerich god rest him who who recorded um sergeant peppers with the beatles who came in shortly afterwards and did um, an album with um, with elvis costello which was a wow huge piece oh of my work. goodness it was fabulous dolores and the cranberries oh were there, I remember. so sad I remember massaging the the lead guitarist's shoulder because he was using a huge Gibson guitar and he was a little skinny guy and his guitar was got this big lump on his shoulder. He's getting crushed you know, under the things the that you don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I was there kind of grinding it out with my thumb uh, to try and free up his shoulder so he could keep playing. It's the weirdest things you end up doing in this life, isn't Fantastic. it? Fantastic. But I, I remember asking because I was listening to the engineers and I'm I'm, I'm inventorying all the equipment in the place and whatever else. And uh, they're talking about digital versus analog, digital versus analog, mm. digital. And I go, okay, I'm the klutz with the you know the humanities degree. Explain. And Connell explained it to me. I remember Connell Markey. And what he said was, if the range of human hearing, uh, you know, is a hand span high, let's say, what we capture, uh, and uh, yeah, anything above that is too high, and anything below that is too low, and you can't hear it. It's still there, though, and it is having a physical effect mm. and it is moving air around you and things are happening as a result of those sounds being there, even if you can't quite hear them. Uh, and you know, obviously young children can hear things that, that other people, you know, older people can't hear and so on and so forth. But he said, what we're doing digitally is we're basically taking something that is you know, a hand span or even or even narrower out of that spectrum that vertical spectrum. And that's the bit that we're capturing digitally. So it's not as big and it's not as rich. And I said, oh, okay, that's really clear. Thank you very much. I kind of understand now. A couple of weeks later, he calls me. He says, Rowan, remember that thing about the digital analog? I've got an example here for you. You want to hear this, my friend. You two were looking for um, a, a duplicate, duplicate copy of the half-inch master tape of the Joshua Tree album. Wow. Uh, and it was on big reels. It was on 14-inch reels, which is about, what, 35-centimeter reels. And we only had one machine that was big enough to do that. We needed to dupe it onto another one. We had to borrow one and hump it up the stairs. And the <laughs> I mean, the, we're talking about something that weighs about as much as a... It is a different world, isn't it? Dina, this is something that weighs as much as a car. Oh, <laughs> okay, it's like dragging a Fiat Five Hundred, you know, up the stairs, basically. You didn't call your man from the uh, cranberries then. No, he was too scrawny. <laughs> so we got some hefty lads from Ringsend in to do the job. The humpers, the humper crew, <laughs> and uh, and I come and he sits me down in the spot, and we're in a really, I mean, a beautiful environment with obviously the best of equipment and studio quality monitors yeah. and all the rest of it. And he goes, do you like this album? I said, yeah, I know it. I'm not a particular fan, but yeah, yeah, whatever. It's grand. Yeah, they're a good band. And he went, have a listen to this. So he turns on In God's Country, which is the opening track of, I think, of Side 2 on the album. And I'm sitting there in the, in the sweet spot and there's a dead sound area behind me. So the sound is, is hitting me and going past me and then not reflecting back off the wall behind me. It's just gone. So all I'm getting is this wall of sound from in front of me. And it's at a very comfortable, but quite loud. It's kind of moving my chest a little bit volume. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there having my cup of tea in my hand. And I go, Connell, what the fuck is happening to me? Because there are <laughs> tears rolling down my oh, cheeks. Wow. As I'm listening to this song that I don't even particularly like. And he said, what's happening to you there, Robo, is analog in a big way. Yeah. And he said, 
some people are more sensitive than others. It would appear you're very sensitive to it indeed. Um, but it is moving your bones in your head. It is resonating and the harmonics are going up and down literally at uh, the level of your bones. And he said, now listen to this. And he clicked a button and he went over to the same track being played off a CD player through the same equipment in the same beautiful listening environment. Nothing. No effect whatsoever. And clicks it back and straight away hairs on the back of the neck. And to a song I don't particularly give a shit about. No. Wow. But so like, because a lot of the tracks that you've chosen in your list are the live recordings. Is that, do you, I mean, you go to a lot of live music. Live music is clearly really important to always you. Always have. Yeah, yeah, always have. And do you know, when bands stopped using analogue gear in mm. concerts that experience even changed because yeah. it became that sanitized sampled sound that you were listening to rather than the rich full-on analog original do you know i came across a lovely remark i, I don't know if i sent it to you um one of bowie's backing singers put a tweet out when they were doing the the cancelled um uh, glastonbury from last year and they were showing lovely lovely whole concerts from previous years at last and they showed bowie from 2000 yeah and she put a tweet out of what bowie had said to the band just before they went on stage you see that i think you did send that to me yeah i remember who this is all about because it ain't us yeah i mean <laughs> here for bowie forever but there's one last song oh. there's one last song that you i wanted to talk to you about in this section which is birdland yeah weather report and very different track what a version that's that's incinerated burnt offerings um uh sausages and rashers and you know barely recognizable black puddings uh <laughs> with with pop on a saturday morning and tea that you could dance a spoon across it was so strong wow. and he never put enough milk in my tea uh but my god the music and, and dad had a piercing whistle and he had perfect he had perfect pitch and he could whistle along to anything um and when he whistled along to that again just him kind of analog in front of me doing that was 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 shivers down the back oh my goodness me again a song i haven't heard for a long time i think i might have been driving home for some from somewhere a couple of years ago and i rarely listen to the radio in the car but on it came in the car and i just found myself cranking it up and oh my god just transported transported back to the house i grew up in which my mother's still in in her mid-90s now she's still there by herself and you know we had to blue tack down the the ornaments um, <laughs> on, on, i'm not exaggerating we really you know we destroyed stuff because pop's attitude was look speaker cones can be replaced great listening experiences can't so crank it up Oh, I'm, I'm emotionally drained already, woman. What else have you got for me? I, I, don't, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I know, right, last but not least. Oh. Mood shifting songs, the songs that you go to when you want mm. a certain elevation or shift of some kind. You've yes. got five very different ones, actually. You've got Warakurna, Midnight Oil, who you were talking oh. about before. Ashes to Ashes from my lovely Bowie. Oh. Hounds of Love, the Future Heads. I adore that song. Yes. South American Getaway, but back. Oh, yes. a very, very different shift. And then finally, August by Anuna. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really different tracks. Very much so. 
All righty, gosh, where do we even start? Again, the, the challenge of, of murdering a bunch of my children so I can, you know, some <laughs> sorry, other ones can sorry. survive. You horrible, <laughs> horrible sorry. person. Well, we talked about Midnight Oil. Um, and I, you know, most people would be aware of like one song they ever did. And I would have been one of those people. Mm. And then once again, uh, you know, a good mate gets in the car and goes, and he puts on some tracks from that self-same album. Warakarna is a is a, a an Aboriginal term. I don't even know what it means to to my uh, to my shame, but it's just one of those songs, and it's just got a lovely little light intro, and it just gets kind of pounding and pulsing and whatever else, and it's just sung with such emotion and such feeling and such conviction, and that's just one of those songs that never fails to. I you know, you use the word it just it's an elevator for yeah. me. It it takes me to an upper floor every time i hear it august there's an interesting one yes i'd forgotten that i put that on the list that's um i actually went to school with the guy who who runs anuna he's an absolute genius and, and a, one of the loveliest humans you could ever meet a guy called michael mclinn he's amazing and august is a one of one of their very simple very very short little pieces it's a francis ledwidge poem that that he put to music and it's it reminded me, the second I heard it, it reminded me of that beautiful speech, uh, Oberon talking to Titania. So that's Midsummer Night's Dream. I know a place where the wild thyme grows. It's someone who has an appreciation, a real appreciation for nature and, and for mankind's place in nature. And in the same way as Shakespeare captured that in that extraordinary yeah. little speech, Ledwich captured that and Michael then put it to this beautiful only voices oh my god oh, it's name. stunning stunning Isn't piece it? of music I didn't realize Hosier has had spent like five He's, years yeah in yeah he sang with them yes yes and, makes and, so much sense like his yes. entire style his approach makes yeah. so much sense yeah he's a great singer he's a, he's a great voice my goodness me um hands of love um I yeah. saw that for the first time on they played Glastonbury and I saw it on TV and it was an afternoon thing and they got they got the sides of the crowd doing the the vocal bits and it's it's a it's an old Kate Bush song which Kate Bush loves their version of unsurprisingly but again it's it's you know it's a perfect little pop song it's you know three or four minutes long with jangly crashing guitars and angry Bristol boys singing along but it's just <laughs> utterly joyous there's no other word for it. It, it it's just wonderful and and uh how how you take you know what was the original and turn it into what they turned it into that's that's the other bit that fascinates me i mean where does that come from in terms of the yeah the mental transfer how do you do that they've gone from that whole sort of witchy ethereal thing for kate bush and then turned it into as you say like jangly mid-noughties yeah. indie yeah um it's just i i it's it's got to be one of those songs that i go to as well where instantly it comes on i'm happier than i was i think seconds yeah, before I, it I, and i think that would be on the desert island with me along with bring on the night i, I, I reckon it i would probably mm. make that make that cut as well and it, it's a totally different mood and, and a totally different vibe to it but again you'll walk away from that feeling yeah. goofy and silly with a silly grin on your face South American Getaway. That was uh, that was from the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid yeah. soundtrack, and I remember seeing that film for the first time. I didn't see it in the cinema because I'm not that fucking old. Um, 
Uh, and I just remember, I just think thinking that was the coolest film I'd ever seen. But the soundtrack was a wonderfully unexpected. Uh, and there's just this, these wonderful little little snippets done by done by Burt Bacharach. It's really of its time. It's really kind of 1960s. But again, it's it's really interesting and really clever. And, and uh, it's an interesting mix of a cappella on, on, on the South American getaway with uh what as i remember it was a montage sequence i think in the movie where they're getting better at being robbers in south america where they don't they're in <laughs> bolivia where they don't speak the language they don't even speak proper um uh, spanish so they, they they have that language barrier to start with and they get more and more and more efficient and they start getting bigger and bigger posses coming after them and just this lovely boppy kind of of its time piece and instantly again transported back to sitting eating popcorn on a saturday afternoon you know as a little fellow in the in the cinema last one you've got we're on your very last song ashes to ashes to end to bring this to a close oh i know the man himself I, i've always loved that song and i've always loved you know i i pick out bits whether it's bass line or you know a particular little drum lick or whatever else there's bits that always capture me in in, in different pieces of music and that one uh, again as a, as a whole to me the vocal and, and even the lyric pretty mm. much irrelevant it's the song it's the music for me okay i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up so you can get some of your saturday evening back but a couple of quick fire questions for you best gig you ever went to oh fuck man <laughs> i didn't say they'd be easy <laughs> the fuck i mean yeah really yeah. It's 1989 cure um disintegration tour or 1994 midnight nice. olympia both of them take me to my grave tomorrow moments yeah absolutely because God, what a blast. What a blast to chill with you, woman. It's always, I always really lovely. This. And it's just great to see you. So, oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for giving me your time and your stories. It's been beyond a pleasure. And, and thank you so much for thinking of, of me course. to include in it. I, I'm just, oh, what a treat this has been. I really enjoyed it.